It is exactly 20 minutes after 7 o'clock. Welcome to Metro FM Talk. I'm Tamin Gubeni, sitting in for Aya Bongatawe tonight. If you'd like to send us your voice notes on the leading stories of the day, as well as your comments, do send them to 060-552-7303. That's 060-552-7303. These may be political stories, they may be business stories, whatever it is that has sparked your interest. We start off our business wrap this evening with co-founder of Sitana Capital, Mr. Kanya Nzululeka. A very good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, Tami. Now, one of the stories that we were talking about earlier on is our lack of electricity. We have been having blackouts Mm. consistently for a a number of of days now and weeks and months and and years, literally, as South Africans. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but but here we are once again with ESCO, ESCOM having made an application to increase the tariffs by over 30%. Um, talk to us about this application as well as the decision which is expected later this week. Yeah, um, as, as you're saying, Tami, as a country, we are in quite a bit of an issue. Um, you know, having an, an energy supply that is not reliable is definitely, um, you know, putting us at risk for a number of things. Um, so as you were mentioning, um, ESCOM has applied to get an increase in their tariff for the 2023 year and a 9% increase in 2024. Um, this is based off the fact that, you know, they've revised their assumptions um, as it pertains to diesel costs, as it pertains to the depreciation of some of their assets. Um, and obviously the public and some um, oppos- um, opposition parties such as the DA are up in arms. Um, effectively, you know, it, it, we're essentially in a, in a position whereby we have an unstable power um, source, and yet, you know, we have ESCOM then coming back and saying that, you know, we want to, to increase the price by 32%. Um, it remains to be seen if, you know, it would even be sustainable, but from our own personal perspective, um, I don't see it being uh, sustainable given all the pressure that has been put on the consumer um, in, in, thus far in the year. What I found quite interesting, Kanya, I don't know if you saw this article in the City Press this past weekend. Uh, Mm. Nicholas Wood-Smith wrote an article in the City Press putting forward a case for privatization as far as ESCOM is concerned. And and what he was saying is that ESCOM Mm. has had no competition um, in the country. They've had a monopoly. But that since the 1990s, ESCOM was very much, um, I, I guess, underpinned and supported by government. And they were undercharging right from the beginning. And, and because they've had no competition and because they were getting leverage from, from government and being subsidized so heavily by government, they were not in a position to basically position themselves equitably in the market so that their pricing was influenced by real market um, dynamics. What are your views on that perspective? I think it's definitely a view that should be considered. Um, obviously, we all know, you know, uh, market theory that if you have competition, um, the theory says that you, you get more efficiency, um, you know, competition should be able to drive prices down. 
so forth, so forth. However, I do think that from my perspective, we're not necessarily dealing with a private company. We're dealing with a state-owned entity um, whose mandate is to effectively create, a, to, to contribute towards government's mandates to create an environment that makes it, um, you know, best and optimal for businesses to operate. Um, I hear, you know, the, 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 the position of saying that, you know, um, um, ESCOM has effectively been undercharging and so forth. But I do think that that doesn't take into account that ESCOM's current um, failure, which hopefully will be arrested very soon, um, is attributable to a number of other things. Um, corruption um, from management, poor management, not just um, corruption, also you know, management not making the right decisions, um, and also political influences. So I do think that, um, and I, I will say that I haven't actually read that article, so maybe I might change my mind once I've actually had a look at the article, but my perspective is that to just say that it's a lack of competition may be a bit um, you know, simplistic and not taking into account all the other factors that have, in, um, that have affected um, you know, the, the, the power producer over the years, like I said, the corruption, the political influence, um, not necessarily having the best management. I think you would have seen um, that there are quite a lot of questions around um, the capability and the suitability of the current CEO of ESCOM. That's also something to look into. So, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that he's wrong. Um, I do think that there are other things to take into account other than the factors that you've mentioned, he mentions in his article. And I have to have a look at it. Um, perhaps my opinion would change after just applying my mind more effectively to it. One of the aspects, um, Kanye, that were highlighted is the fact that sales, electricity sales specifically, have gone down by 14.7%. And this is due to a shrinking economy. I found that quite ironic because the shrinking economy is also largely due as a result of ESCOM's inefficiencies. Exactly. Um, I, I don't even know what the, 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 the proper... You know, what's the English analogy, allegory, or whatever it is, I don't even know what you can compare it to, but energy is a big thing um, for this country. Um, you know, on the show, we've had a look at a number of company results, mining companies, companies in, you know, the poultry space, SMCG, and they have all, um, you know, highlighted the impact of load shedding on their operations. It's an impact on the cost, but it's also an impact on the demand for their product because um, the consumer is directly affected. So it is actually quite ironic, and I do think that you know if things get right with ESCOM as a country, we would have ticked a major, major box to move us forward. So what happens if ESCOM does not get the 32% increase? It was in September that ESCOM confirmed that they had indeed requested uh, this increase from NERSA. What would be the implications for ESCOM should they not get this? I think that, um, you know, they, they probably would um, have a look. There are multiple options. Um, I, at the moment, I think they currently do have a case, uh, I don't think it's a case, but a review that they've taken before the courts against NERSA regarding um, something about uh, a formula that they disputed in the previous 
review tariff review that they had for 2022. So that's currently on the go. I do think that um, you know they they have their own options from a management perspective. You can look at various other ways in which the shortfall in the working capital that will arise um, will actually be funded. But I think that you know we have to not think just about okay what's going to happen. What is ESCOM going to do if they don't get the 32 percent? I'm more concerned about what would happen if they do get the 32 percent. There's already um, a lot of discontent, a lot of uh, unrest in in the country, and rightfully so, a lot of people feeling the pressure. It's really, really tough. So I I started to think what would be, what would actually materialize out in the streets if the 32% would be granted. Um, But let's let's see. Um, You know, there are much smarter people than me up there. Um, And, you know, we trust that the right decision will be made to ensure that the power supplier, um, our power producer, continues in some form of sustainability and there is, um, you know, some form of calm uh, in the country as well because, yeah, I, I do think that the consumer is at a point now where, you know, um, you possibly cannot take much more. I don't know about you, but I, I do think, speaking for myself and a couple of other people in my circle as well, it has actually um, been a bit tough. It has been very tough. I think that is the, the common battle cry for all South Africans. Yeah. Do you know exactly when this week um, this decision is expected? I, I know originally it was actually supposed to have been made by November the 7th, um, mm. but then that didn't happen. Do we have a specific as to when this week? So um, I'd I, I have to have a look, but I do remember reading something about Wednesday, but it's definitely going to be before the end of the week. Um, like you mentioned, the, the the decision was actually scheduled for the 29th of November, um, but then NERSA cited the fact that they caught a couple of gremlins in the calculation. So hopefully it does happen this week so we can get into our holidays with a bit of certainty about what it's going to look like for the next two years or so. We certainly do need a break as far as as our pockets are concerned right now. But let's move on, Kanye, to Aspen, the pharmaceutical company. Uh, They are the biggest uh, producer of medicine on the African continent. They're going to be receiving 523 million rand as a grant for vaccine manufacturing. Tell us more about that. Very interesting and, um, you know, something that I wasn't actually uh, received, uh, expecting to read. So, like you said, JSC listed Aspen has received about $30 million, which translates into 523 million rands from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as a Norwegian organization called the uh, Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. And really, the, the the purpose of the grant is to enable, well, not necessarily to enable, but to support Aspen's capabilities to manufacture and to sell vaccines um, to the rest of Africa. So I think, you know, if you keep up to date with some of the work of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, this is, you know, smack bang, you know, in the middle of their mandate, which is to, you know, prepare the world effectively for any form of outbreak that we might have. Um, and this is something that was a mandate of theirs way before COVID. And would definitely, um, the, the, their sense of urgency would definitely be increased now as a result of COVID, um, you know, and everything that the world went through. So, yeah, I think that it's uh, it's a great way to, to 
to localize the production of, of vaccines, which are important for you know the healthcare system of not just South Africa, but of the continent. As you said, Aspen, one of the biggest uh, manufacturers of, of, of um, medicines, and they supply other African countries as well. I'm asking this question. These vaccines are for Africa. Why for Africa specifically? Uh, unless if you maybe have you know other insight about similar projects and, and, and similar grants being made for vaccines in other parts of the world. Why vaccines for Africa? I think it's, it's, it's more a thing of wanting to boost the manufacturing capability of local businesses. Um, so, for example, in March, Aston signed a contract with Johnson & Johnson to manufacture and to sell the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine. Um, from my understanding, it would be the, you know, exactly the same ingredients as what, as what Johnson & Johnson is manufacturing, but it would be under an Aspen brand. So I think it's more about uh, you know, the, these donors, investors, wanting to boost localization, wanting to boost the manufacturing capacity of African countries and of African um, companies as well. Um, so I don't necessarily think that, you know, there would be a difference, um, you know, in the formula or anything of that nature. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, you know, we can at least look forward to some form of benefit in the form of job creation, um, you know, a, a boost to our GDP, however you know, small it might be. Um, I do think that this is a gesture of, you know, what could come in the future. And yeah, as with everything, you, you have to ask yourself, what are the cons? Um, what is actually going on behind the scenes? Um, I'm not the most um, qualified to, to, to opine on that. But yes, I mean, based on this, in form of, you know, um, money coming into the country to, to boost our ability to employ more people is always a win in my, in, in my view. Mm. And, and just lastly, before we move on um, with, with the entire Aspen vaccine uh, situation, the, the vaccine creation or vaccine development, is it for anything specific? Are we still talking vaccine development for COVID or are we talking about, you know, future pandemics that are being, um, I, I guess, anticipated? Yeah, so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the interesting thing. And I think that if you spend um, any amount of time on, on, on YouTube, you, you'll come across some of the conspiracy theories about, you know, why are we going to be preparing for vaccines? But I do think that, you know, where we are, um, you know, there's a need to be prepared. I think that COVID has showed us that we need to be prepared for anything. And from what I can see, this is effectively to enable Aspen to be to be ready, you know, from any form of outbreak. I don't think it's necessarily limited to COVID. Um, it's just for any form of, 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 of pandemic outbreak that might actually come and to ensure that the company is ready um, to supply the African population. Now, now Kanya... I'd, I'd like us to move to a story that I think is, is quite relevant, specifically now, when we're talking holidays and we're talking travel. And travel obviously comes with travel restrictions. We all need visas, or at least most of us need visas, to be able to travel to you know countries of our choice. But now, South Africa, our very own country, uh, according to these reports, is ranking amongst the lowest for, for Africa visa openness. Uh, talk to us about that. Yes, um, 
So a report has come out saying that um, South Africa actually ranks among the lowest um, in Africa for visa openness. And really what that refers to is how easily can people come into the country, you know, without a visa. Um, in terms of score on the African Visa Openness Index, South Africa scored 0.34, um, and that's on a range between 0 and 1. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that that's not the best. Um, from our perspectives, um, being a country that struggles a lot with unemployment, particularly youth unemployment, tourism is one sector or industry that we should definitely be looking into to 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 boost, um, you know, um, jobs, you know, for our youth. Um, and you know, before COVID, you know, that seemed to be coming on nicely. You know, um, you know, everyone loves Cape Town. Uh, that seemed to be coming on nicely, but after COVID 2020, you know, that was slashed dramatically, and the country has really struggled to to really, um, you know, bring it up again. Um, so I mean, not the best, um, but you know, with these things, you always have to to balance it with the other view, right? To say that okay, fine, if you just allow, you know, free movement. What are potentially the cons of that? So yes, you know, free movement will, um, you know, theoretically really boost investment in terms of having potential business, um, you know, people coming in with interests and investments coming into the country and being able to, you know, assess everything freely. Um, however, you know, you you, there, you you wonder, you know, what would potentially be the cons of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, not necessarily the best of news for the country today. Because what we're finding here, and, and, and based on, on the report, is that a number of African states are, are actually quite positive and encouraging uh, when it comes to the removal of travel barriers, uh, wanting yes. people to move freely from one country to another to be able to either work or um, go there for, for tourism and boosting the, the travel uh, e- economies. And countries that have actually removed some of these visa requirements are seeing quite a boost in uh, their, their travel tourism as well, as well as the contribution, I guess, of tourism to the, the GDP. But how specific was this particular report? Is it just about getting the visa before you actually leave your own country? Because I know in some other countries you can literally just get the visa when you land at the airport and it's quite easy. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, I think the index, you know, would have looked at, you know, a number of things, um, you know, whether, a, a, you know, a, a country um, offers any e-visas, you know, um, like to your point, whether a country actually offers visas on arrival. Um, so to your point, there are other African states that are quite open. Um, so notable ones being Benin, Seychelles, Gambia, uh, Ghana, Rwanda, Nigeria. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of those actually do offer visas on arrival. So, yeah, um, South Africa a lot more restricted, um, you know, than, than some of these, these, these other countries. And, yeah, I mean, I think that Ghana definitely, you know, has benefited a lot from, you know, um, lessening restrictions, um, you know, year of the return, you know, that was a huge success for them. Um, and it's from our side, obviously, you know, our government is just taking a, a different view. Uh, our last story that I'd like us to focus on uh, tonight, Kanya, is the preferential treatment that South Africa has received um, as far as market access from the United States, uh, largely because of AGOA and the trade terms 
that AGOA afforded us as, as a country as far as being able to export into the United States market. Uh, talk to us about some of the benefits of AGOA for South Africa and how that looks like it's on the balance at the moment. Yeah, so, um, you know, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, um, that's been in the headlines for the longest of times. Um, so, effectively, it is an act that essentially provides preferential access to the U.S. market for a number of sub-Saharan African countries. And the basis behind why the USA, um, you know, has offered this is to effectively help those countries in terms of, you know, development and provide a market um, for their products. The United States be, being one of the biggest um, consumer markets on, on in the world. Um, and, you know, other countries have relatively, you know, had it, I don't want to say easy, but they've, there's been less chatter, you know, around their involvement. You know, um, but when it comes to South Africa, you know, since its launch in 2000, um, you know, there's been chatter around how, you know, South Africa actually, you know, shouldn't actually benefit from this. Um, You know, quite a lot of um, private um, companies and a lot of private sector interests within the United States, um, you know, making a point of saying that, you know, South Africa effectively, you know, imposes um, duties and tariffs on products, on U.S. products coming into South Africa, the most notable being poultry and chicken, whereas, you know, we can then, you know, export other, you know, um, goods, you know, duty-free. And, yeah, there's there's always been a bit of drama when it comes to Agoa, um, and it's, it seems as though it's resurfaced again. All right, we'll leave it at that for this evening, Kanya Zululega. Thank you so much uh, for today's market update. She's the co-founder of Sitana Capital. AGOA expires in 2025. Uh, Will these favorable trade terms continue for South Africa? Uh, We see the United States saying the European countries and the European importers have had uh, an unfair advantage.